Welcome to the Body and Beyond podcast with Alice and Gina. A podcast sparking discussion on all things health, mindset, fitness, goals, and motivation. We strive to help you to boost your confidence, to take the lead in your own life, to back yourself, and to step into your full potential. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Body and Beyond podcast. My name is Gina and Alice is here as well. Hey, Al. Hey, everyone. Hey, Gina. We have an amazing guest today, Dr. Robert Davis, who is the author of Supersized Lies, joining us all the way from America. Hey, Robert. Hi, great to be with you both. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. We would love to hear to begin with uh, a little bit about yourself, um, about your, your history and your research and your study and, and what you do now as well. Yeah, well, I am a longtime healthcare journalist I'm reporting particularly on nutrition, fitness, wellness. Those are my uh, areas of, of special interest. And uh, I have uh, what I like, what I've seen throughout my career, all kinds of misleading, confusing, conflicting information. We all see that right around nutrition and weight loss and, and all kinds of wellness topics. But I particularly see it as a journalist because there's so many people that are pitching me uh, trying to write about something in the way they want it to be written about mm-hmm. or, or videoed for me to produce in a certain way. So I'm, I'm privy to the way that various people uh, are trying to spin us as consumers and trying to spin journalists. And so I've taken that uh, uh, information I have and tried to apply it to the work that I do to help consumers be uh, uh, more aware of this kind of spend, to be more aware of the misinformation they're getting and, and to know how to ask questions, what questions to ask so they can be better consumers and make better decisions for themselves. Um, something else that I have that I think I, I've tried to bring to bear in my work is that I have a background in public health and epidemiology so that I spend a lot of time actually looking at the studies, analyzing the studies when people say research says something is true to understand what the research actually says. And does it say what people claim it's saying and how good is the study? We can talk about that if you want, about how people often use research to justify whatever they're claiming. But in fact, research is not all created equal. There's, there's research that uh, varies in quality and that's important for people to be able to do. And, and so also the other point I would make is it's important to, to remind people that I'm not here to tell people what to do. My job is to lay information as honestly and thoroughly and objectively as I can and to help people make better decisions for themselves. So I'm not here to tell people that they should eat a particular diet or, eat or follow a particular regimen, but, is, but what I try to do is to lay out information and so that they can make better decisions about what's right for them. And ultimately that's what's important because we're all different and we have to decide what's right for us. But I believe armed with the best information, we can do that. And mm-hmm. so that's ultimately what my work is about in the work I do as a journalist and in writing this book, Supersize Lies, which is we'll talk about, I know, uh, regarding what's uh, true and what's not around weight control, and then my previous books also around health topics. Mm. And so, who would you say your audience or who was Supersized Lies written for? It is written for anyone, yeah. uh, any age, male and female, of people who have struggled with their weight. And that's so many people we know, you know, worldwide. Uh, it, it, it is an epidemic. Obesity is an epidemic, we know, and that so many people have struggled. And I know people personally who've struggled their entire lives with their weight, family members and friends. 
and have tried all kinds of different diets and all kinds of different approaches only maybe to have temporary success, the weight comes back. So what we see is that there's so many people and, 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 and it becomes a struggle, not only obviously physically and trying to lose the weight and trying to be healthy, but also emotionally. We see that the terrible toll that so many weight loss approaches and diets take on people emotionally um, as they try and fail and try and fail um, to lose weight and keep it off. And so that's something else that I think is very important as we think about the kind of damage that much of the conventional advice that we're getting is actually causing. Yeah. And from what we can see, the book is very easy, easily, easy to read. And um, it's laid out in a way where you are sort of myth busting in a sense. Um, and you're running through quite a lot of myths or truths along the way throughout the book, uh, which we have gone through and actually selected, I guess, a couple of things that we thought we could elaborate on today in our podcast. Um, obviously, there is so much that is uh, included into this book. So for those of you who um, like the sound of it, I definitely recommend checking it out. But for today, um, Gina, did we want to kind of dive into uh, some of these points? Seeing as yeah. there's, there's a few to get through today. So, yeah. And there's so many different topics that you cover. Um, the first one we were interested to know more about is different medications that have been prescribed in history, but also even to the current day um, for fat loss and your thoughts on that and the research you've done. Right. Well, there have been a number of the history is full of all kinds of examples. And I go through some of this a brief sort of history of things that have been prescribed over the years. And we have you know, I talk about in the 19th century, there were thyroid extracts that were prescribed to help people lose weight. And then I give the example in the US at least, which is an unbelievable story, but it's true, a, a drug called DNP, which actually was an explosive, was used in explosives during World War I. Uh, and they found that the people who worked in French munitions plants who were exposed to this uh, explosive actually lost weight. So these doctors got the not so bright idea that if you actually gave people this drug, they would lose weight. Well, in fact, they lost weight but they also had all kinds of terrible side effects like rashes and numbness and blindness and death. And wow. so um, anyway, but I, so, so then I talk about other things that have come along and you can let me know how much detail you want to go into, but other things throughout the last 100 years that have come along and have been sort of held up as the next great thing with regard to weight loss. And then what happens is that eventually these drugs may work short term or they may work for certain people, but then side effects start emerging and sometimes deadly side effects start emerging. And eventually these medications have to be discontinued. And we've seen this even in recent years where in the US at least drugs that have been introduced as weight loss drugs um, have been adopted and then only for, for uh, studies to show that they cause side effects, serious side effects like cancer or heart disease or strokes. Mm -hmm. And then they have to be withdrawn from the market. And so um, I think that it's important for us to keep this history in mind as we look to new drugs that are constantly being talked about or introduced. There are new drugs in the U.S. that were just introduced, a drug called Wegovy that has been called a game changer. And it does has been shown in studies to re result in significant weight gain, but a weight loss rather. But this drug has to be taken permanently. Once people stop taking the drug, they, uh, you know, they gain, regain the weight. And we have to look to history and say, what do we not know at this point about the kinds of side effects that it might have that just haven't emerged yet? So it's not to say that medications um, don't work uh, or that people shouldn't take them, but it is to say I, we, ha we have every reason to be very cautious when we're looking at medications for, for weight loss. Yeah, I think one's actually come over to Australia not long ago, actually. I've heard a lot of hype, even on just the news on 
some new weight loss injections that have come across. Have you seen that, Gina? Or I haven't. No, I haven't. No, it's. And and I should I should add, typically uh, now medications that are introduced to the market are for people who. Uh, not for everybody, not for people who just have 10 or 15 pounds to lose, but people who are obese or who are in the overweight category who have one or two uh, conditions such as diabetes. So they're not for everybody, but even for those folks, um, and, and they may be perfectly fine for those folks, but those folks, even who are in that situation, I think it's important to ask questions and really think, weigh the pros and cons. And, you, and it may be a good decision to take them, but also I think people need to be fully aware of the potential side effects and at this point, unknown side effects. Exactly. And it is interesting um, when, I mean, personally, even just from my own uh, views on the previous one that's come into Australia, all of it is quite positive and, you know, it's almost like an outlook of a miracle drug. Like we finally have the newest thing that's actually going to work, but not often do you see in the media or anything, uh, any sort of precautionary, uh, sort of chat around whether it might not be suitable or most of it is quite, uh, I would say the positive side of things, I guess. So and that, and you know, and that's such an important point because it's true, not only for medications, but so many things around weight loss, right? We see, you know, th this eating, this food, eating blueberries or eating some chocolate will help you lose weight. And we see stories, news stories to tell people that without any discussion of, well, it only worked for these people or it only worked for rodents in this study. And you have to eat five, you know, you have to eat a pound of chocolate a day or whatever the situation may be. Those kinds of details are often omitted from the studies or they're not clear. And so people are led to believe often by media coverage, that there's some kind of miracle cure or some kind of easy fix. And, and let's face it. I mean, I say this as a journalist, journalists do this because it's a way to get people to read or watch. Um, people are looking for that and journalists know that. And so, and often they don't have enough time or enough space to be able to go into detail, but often uh, media coverage is a real problem. News stories are a real problem because they mislead people about not only drugs and diets, but all kinds of things around weight control, um, to lead people to do things that may not be effective. And in some cases are harmful. Yeah. And even they may exacerbate or, um, you know, promote, if even if it is a solution or a strategy that is a, a really healthy strategy for, for weight loss, they may just be highlighting the easy components and completely disregarding the challenge, how challenging it's going to be and how you got to stick at it for an extended period of time or whatever that is, you know? So yep. cherry picking, Absolutely. cherry picking the information. Yes. Yeah. So while we're on the topics of medications, uh, we also wanted to have a little uh, chat about, um, I think you had one myth or truth in there about medications causing weight gain. So we're going yes. to the other side of the spectrum now. And so yeah. I guess briefly from my point of view, I often hear about, um, you know, I, I guess people are often told that a certain medication that they must take is automatically going to cause them weight gain, right? So people go away often thinking that it is specifically the medication that is basically just directly causing weight gain, right? But I think, uh, and you probably go over this a little bit in your book as well, there's definitely some other uh, underlying factors in there that kind of uh, are causing that weight gain, right? As opposed to just directly gaining fat. So for example, a change in metabolism, um, appetite possibly. Did you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Sure, you're absolutely right. So th those are things it could, it can affect your ability to, to store fluid. So fluid retention can be a factor. People can gain weight that way. 
Um, but you're, you mentioned appetite, you mentioned slowing down metabolism. Um, so there are other, there are various mechanisms, various ways that drugs, certain medications can actually lead to weight gain. And I think it's important for people to be aware of this. And, and I talk about the different categories. There are a number of different categories, things, certain antidepressants, um, certain antihistamines, there, there are uh, drugs for blood pressure called beta blockers, for example, prednisone, which is a steroid that pe some people are prescribed can lead to uh, weight gain in some cases. So I think it's important for people to be aware of this so that they are experiencing weight gain. They can go to their provider, their doctor and say, I'm gaining weight. Uh, can we look at something else? Can we look at some alternative? Can we try something else? Because not every medication in every category causes weight gain. For example, not every antidepressant, but it's important to be aware that there might be alternatives. Mm. And possibly important to also be aware of what, maybe a little more understanding of what it is or why it's causing weight gain, right? Um, so that people can understand a little uh, themselves. Because I think uh, quite often people can go away uh, assuming that it's the inevitable, like just because they've been told there may be some weight gain or uh, this could be a side effect. Um, often I feel people can take this on board quite literally and just assume, oh no, it's inevitable. I'm now going to gain weight. And therefore that could also impact, you know, the way that they're eating or their behavior. Their behavior right. right. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If people yes. think, oh, well, I'm going to gain weight from this medicine. And then they do because they feel that there's nothing they can do. They might have a sense of um, that, that the lack of control. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I think that's really important not to assume it's going to be the case and to also assume that it's not often as simple as you take the medication you gain weight, there are other factors involved. Mm. I mean, I think a good example of this is that uh, many women will swear, and I'm not saying they're wrong, but that birth control pills lead to weight gain. And they'll say, they'll say, well, I'm gaining weight because I'm taking birth control pills. And research has actually had a very tough time proving that's the case, that they actually lead to weight gain. Uh, study after study has failed to show that. And so I think if people, and I'm just, it's not just that, but many others, I think uh, to, to not go in, to, to, while it's important to ask doctors questions, we establish that and to make sure that if there's not an alternative, it's equally important not to go in making assumptions that, okay, well, I've heard somewhere that drug X, whatever it is, is going to cause weight gain. So that must be true. Um, to, to, again, not just assume that's true, but to do a little more digging in, and uh, do more homework. Yeah. And I've definitely had a firsthand experience with that myself uh, many years ago when I did used to take uh, the pill. Um, and I do remember leaving, you know, the doctor's office and being told, oh, by the way, you are, you will experience weight gain with this. Mm -hmm. And because before I had previously taken before I'd had no, nothing, you know, no sort of weight gain experience personally myself, I kind of left the doctor thinking, actually, no, I, I don't think that's true. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. thank you for relaying that message to me and it was kind of just like a an after message but also a, oh by the way this is going to happen and I just thought oh it just it made me question you know like right. where that came from or whether that was true or um so yeah it's interesting <laughs> it's challenging hey because there's so many potentially vulnerable individuals who are really hanging on to every word that their doctor says so someone so if that had been sent, said to someone else Alice that may not have been the same case they would have just mm. like you said think this is inevitable and then consumed accordingly therefore yeah. leading to to weight gain yeah mm. very well, interesting 
Yeah, I know. The we next thing we wanted to ask you about was the diet soda paradox that you mentioned in the book. Um, so looking at, you know, basically artificial sweeteners and the effects yeah. they can have on the body or the effects they do or don't have on the body. What were your findings there? Well, and this is surprising to many people because for decades we've been told drink diet drinks or if you want to lose weight or eat artificially sweetened foods, they have in many cases, most cases, zero calories. So it would stand to reason if they have no calories, then it's a way to consume fewer calories. And if you consume fewer calories, you're going to lose weight. That's the rationale. In reality, it's not, it doesn't always work out that way. What studies have found is that in some cases, some studies find that artificially sweetened foods and drinks do lead to weight loss. But in many, many other studies, if not most, they find that either they have no effect or in some cases they actually lead to weight gain. Mm. And people may say, well, how can that be if they are free of calories? And so the answer is that what we weigh Yes, calories matter, but it involves more than that. It, it can't just simply be boiled down to how many calories we're consuming because there are other factors that are involved. And when it comes to diet drinks specifically as to why they may not help and they could hurt, there are theory, various theories as to why that is. One is that they mess with our brains. The artificial sweeteners mess with our brains so that we take in artificial sweeteners and we're expecting to get calories because of the sweetness. Uh, the calories, we don't get the calories because they're calorie free. So then our bodies seek out more food to be able to get the calories that we're expecting. So essentially they trick our brains and they, they increase our appetite in that way. So that's one theory as to why they may not have their intended effect. Um, another is that they may mess with the microbes in our gut, the so-called microbiome. You know, that's the mix of microbes. There's been more and more research in recent years on how that might affect not only our weight, but our health. And certain studies have suggested that a certain mix of microbes may make you less likely to absorb the calories that you consume. And the fewer calories you actually absorb, the less weight you're going to gain from a certain amount of food. And so it could be that if certain artificial sweeteners change that mix of microbes in the gut, it could make a difference to how many of the calories that you consume that you actually absorb. So that could be one, another reason. And then it could just simply be that in some cases, people feel more virtuous. If you have a diet drink, and maybe you feel empowered to get the large French fries and the hamburger, because you feel you go to a fast food place and you say, well, I'm going to, uh, I'll be good on the diet drink. I get the diet soda, but it's okay if I get the fries and the mm -hmm. other, and the, and the dessert. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it just gives people license perhaps. So whatever the reason though, I think it's important for people to be aware that artificial sweeteners, diet drinks are not necessarily the answer. Uh, and that you see people that drink many of these a day and, and something else people should be aware of is that there have been studies that link diet drinks, particularly uh, heavy use of those to all kinds of health problems, including uh, strokes and heart disease and dementia and premature death. It doesn't, we don't have proof they cause those things, but there is evidence that, that linking them to those negative effects. So at least there's the possibility. Mm -hmm. So I think to, to, to assume as people have and been told for years in diet culture, well, the answer is just to eat fewer calories, consume fewer calories, diet drinks are part of that. Um, mm -hmm. That's not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. And I often feel like, oh, sorry, you go, you go out. I was just going to say, I often feel like there is so much that we don't, we still don't really know about how the body works and there's so much more to it than just the typical calories in, calories out, um, <laughs> you know, and how our body is responding and taking in all of these different, I would say, substances or foods or um, I just personally, I feel like there is just so much more out there that we're, you know, probably still unaware of really. <laughs> Mm. 
Right. And I think this is a perfect example when it's boiled down to a simple formula, calories in, calories out, eat fewer calories, and people adhere to that. What can happen is they can say, okay, I'll do that. And I'm going to eat a lot of artificially sweetened foods that have fewer calories and end up causing harm. If in fact, those substances are are causing harm to their bodies, they may not only not, they may not lose weight, but on top of that, they may be doing harm to their health. And so mm -hmm. this is an example of an unintended consequence that I talk about throughout the book of some of the advice we get when it comes to weight loss. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's challenging. Hey, like even earlier, you mentioned like quality of research and being a journalist and like choosing quality research. And I think it's still tricky, hey, knowing if something's correlation, correlation versus causation. Um, and sometimes people who are over-consuming things like soft drinks or diet soft drinks, like they may already have underlying health concerns or there's so many factors, right? It's hard to say that this right. equals that when if that population who do consume that, yeah, it's challenging. <laughs> it's, it's hard to know, isn't it? And I'm sure there's so much research, extensive research across so many topics. Yes. Yeah. Knowing which, which data to trust or, or yeah. And that's something I've, I've tried to use my background in epidemiology, public mm. health, and really, as I say, look at the studies and look at what scientists call the totality of the evidence. Instead of picking, cherry picking or looking at one study or a mm. few studies to look at all the evidence to consider not only the quality of the research, but also who funded it. That's always mm. important. Yes. Uh, yeah. and, to, and to look yeah. at what the science as a whole says. And that's what I've tried to do is to draw conclusions based on looking at all those factors in the science as a whole to say, okay, here's what we know, here's where there's ambiguity, and here's where we have proof that something's not true based on looking mm -hmm. at the in, in, a, in a holistic way at the evidence. Mm. You just mentioned funding. Would you mind elaborating on that for the listeners who may not be aware around how some research is funded by big industry or by certain companies or... Right. It's a, it's, a, it's a very important issue. Certainly in the U.S. and I think around the world, you have, particularly with regard to food, a lot of studies around foods that are funded by industry, industries with a vested interest, obviously, because they want you to eat more of their food. So they find research. Sometimes they conduct the studies themselves, but in many more cases, they'll give money, a research grant to a scientist at a university to conduct research. Now, those researchers will tell you they're not being swayed by the funding, their objective. And I, and I think that's true. They're doing their honest best. But, the, but when you look at when there are analyses done of research, and this won't be surprising to anybody who's listening, that's been done, that funded by, uh, by vested interest industry, food research, guess what? The, 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 the studies that are funded by vested interest by food companies are more likely to find favorable results for those foods than studies, comparable studies, they're not funded by industry. Mm -hmm. And there are all kinds of reasons that may happen. It may be that the scientists frame their research in a particular way or use a certain methodology or pull out certain results to highlight mm -hmm. that would favor the, the funder's interest. So there are all kinds of subtle ways that researchers may inject a bias into the way they either design their experiments or interpret the results. In some cases, maybe they're not even aware of it. So mm -hmm. I don't think it's a matter necessarily of fraud, outright fraud, but I think there's subtle effects that this kind of funding and research does, I think, bear this out that can have with regard to what the results are, what we actually hear about this research based on the funding. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
Um, the next thing we wanted to highlight was um, moving through the book. You, you touch on exercise and fat loss and different types of exercise and maybe some myths around people thinking that sweating more equals more fat loss or higher intensity equals more fat loss. So we'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, well, this is one of my favorite topics. I'm a big, I'm an avid exerciser myself. I'm a big proponent of exercise. I think it's the closest thing we have to a fountain of youth. And I like to say, if there were a pill that could do everything exercise could do from decreasing your risk of cancer and heart disease to improving your mood, then we'd all be clamoring for that pill. But what's, what's really unfortunate here is that the thing that most of us, or many of us, not most of us, look to exercise to do is to help us lose weight. And that's one thing that one of the few things exercise often doesn't do so well. And the reason is that exercise, the kind of exercise that most of us do for good health, which is to say going for a brisk walk or taking a bike ride or swimming or dancing, whatever it is, just doesn't simply, it simply doesn't burn enough calories to make much of a difference with, with regard to our weight. And so people go into exercise expecting, oh, I'm going to walk every day. I'm going to take a yoga class. And they find that it's not, uh, it's not leading to weight loss. They get frustrated and they say, well, this isn't working. And they stop exercising. Mm -hmm. And that's really unfortunate because I think if people go in managing their expectations about exercise, what it can and cannot do, they're more likely to stick with it and to see how it's really going to benefit them. And so I think the, the important points here are that while exercise is not great for helping you lose weight, um, it can help with regard to other things. It certainly studies do show can help with regard to helping you keep weight off. So once people have lost weight, to keep weight off, which we all know is very difficult to do long-term exercise is crucial there. Study after study shows that, and we're not talking necessarily about, you know, crazy vigorous exercise. We're talking about moderate, moderate exercise, like going for a walk every day or most days of the week can make a difference when it comes to keeping weight off. So that's important there. Also, you mentioned fat loss. There is good evidence that while exercise may not change the needle on the scale, it can help uh, lead to loss of fat particularly visceral fat. That's the fat, that's fat often found in the waist that's associated with particularly negative health effects, metabolic effects, um, heart disease, cancer, increased risk of diabetes, things like that. So that's important to, um, to, think, to, to, to be aware of what exercise can do there. And then just overall, obviously, I think what I like to tell people is that don't use exercise as a way to punish yourself for overeating. Often people will say, you know, I I overindulged over the holiday or I, you know, I went to a large meal, so I have to go to the gym and work extra hard now. And I think when people see exercise that way as some kind of punishment or penance or way to compensate for overeating, you think it becomes a negative thing. It's, it's just because you associate with something negative. I got to do something negative to make up for something that I did that was enjoyable. And I think that's unfortunate. Again, it makes people less likely to exercise regularly if they associated with something like that. So instead, I think the way that I like to talk about exercise is to think of it, and, and I use the word exercise, I think a better word is movement. Think of moving your body in a way that feels good to you, that's going to enhance the quality of your life, make you feel better right afterwards, whether it's you feel less stressed, whether you feel that you're more relaxed, whether you can sleep better, whether you can deal more with your boss or your kids, whatever the case may be, just to enhance the quality of your life. That's really the way to view exercise, not necessarily as a weight loss tool. And I think if people can view exercise that way, they're more likely to eventually enjoy it, to want to stick with it and to keep doing it throughout their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. And we are both such a big advocate for that message as well across the body and beyond podcasts. So that one definitely, um, yeah, it's a great message for our listeners to be reminded of. 
Mm. And I would just add, it's unfortunate what the weight loss industry has done here, though. They've taken that, that, that thing that we have, that gift we have, exercise movement, that could be such a great thing for our lives and turned it into a weight loss tool and told us, okay, join the gym and lose 30 pounds in 30 days. And so that's, they've changed the way we look at it and in a way that, again, leads to false expectations and frustration. Exactly. Mm. You also mentioned EPOC, so um, post-exercise oxygen consumption in the book here around looking at comparing like lower intensity cardio to high intensity cardio. But I'd love to also know your thoughts on like weight training and how that can affect EPOC as well. Yeah. So there's some evidence that suggests, and by the way, I think, you know, we often hear most people think of exercise in terms of going for a walk, so-called cardio or aerobic activities. But what many people don't incorporate is weight training, resistance training. Mm. And, and it's equally important. And we can talk about why it is, but as important as aerobic activity is, um, weight training is important for, uh, for, for the same and other reasons as well, including mm. just maintaining muscle mass as we get older. Mm. And we also know that muscle burns more calories than fat does. So um, we, it's, as, you, as you increase muscle mass, you can also help regard to your body composition there too. So um, I think though that weight training can some studies show certain kinds of weight training can result in more calorie burning after you finished mm -hmm. so that it's not just while you're doing the activity, that's what you're referring to. But after you finish, um, you continue burning calories. And so um, there's some evidence that weight training particularly can have an effect on that sort of post exercise calorie burning. Um, so mm -hmm. that's another reason to incorporate it as well. But I think overall, the message here is that is it's important to have both, not only for overall good health, but also mm -hmm. to maintain weight loss to incorporate both aerobic activity as well as a couple of days a week, at least of weight training yeah. or resistance activities. It does, you don't have to use weights. You can use your own body weight, but the point is to have some kind of resistance exercises. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Especially as we get older. Yes. It's so the next one we wanted to cover was looking at the topic of pill pushes and looking at the role that um, potentially different, companies have on um pharmaceuticals and um you know meeting sales targets we'd love to hear more about your view on that and what you've covered here in the book yeah well i um i, I it's a huge issue particularly in the u.s um with regard to the kind of aggressive marketing that goes around pharmaceuticals mm. um and so uh you know that people in this in the united states at least are subjected to advertisements on TV and other media. I know not in other countries necessarily, but in the US they are. And then certainly doctors are influenced heavily by drug reps who come in and, or who, who lobby them to prescribe certain drugs or give them, uh, or give them other incentives to do so. So um, I think that it's, uh, it's an issue. And I think people need to, when they are, uh, when a drug is recommended to them, not to say they don't trust the doctors because we need to be able to trust our doctors and our doctors, I think by and large have our best interests at heart and they're trying to do the right thing. So we need to understand that. But at the same time, to ask really hard questions as to what are the side effects of this drug? Is it, what should, you know, is this right for me? Are there studies in people like me, not people generally, but people like me, if we're talking about weight loss drugs, people of my weight, my gender, my age, where this has actually worked and how well does it work? And what are the side effects of people like me? And if you can't get good answers, I think go to, uh, go to online to try to do some research. And I know, and you know, it's, it's asking a lot for people to try to read complicated medical studies, but you can go to Google Scholar and, and Google and try to look up to see what you can find from certain sources 
about medications just to see if really, particularly we're talking here about weight loss drugs or any kind of drugs, if it's the right medication for you, because um, there is a lot of um, information, I think, that um, is, is, is I, I won't say misleading, but certainly is biased in a way mm. that, that favors the drugs, that plays down the side effects, plays down the fact whether or not they're going to be uh, appropriate for everybody. And I think these are important issues for people to consider and, for, and to dig into as they're being prescribed a drug, particularly a so-called lifestyle drug, like a weight loss drug, which um, is, 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 is optional uh, in terms of whether you take it or not. And I think that too often people are pressured into taking things that may not be in their best interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great message. Um, and I do, I do as well, just want to um, pop back to what you were mentioning earlier, Gina, about the hormone treatments as well. Um, and I know that you mentioned myth or truth in your book um, around hormone treatments being way, a good way to control weight. Um, what are your thoughts around this and hormone treatments in general? Yeah, well, for, you know, for over 100 years, I mentioned thyroid earlier, thyroid extract back in the 19th century was used. Yeah. Um, by doctors. And so it, it can work if people are giving thyroid, extra thyroid hormone, it can lead to weight loss, but that doesn't mean it's a good treatment. There are serious side effects, potentially you take thyroid hormone when you don't need it. Now, obviously people, some people need thyroid hormone who, who, whose thyroid glands don't produce sufficient amounts. So that's important to get thyroid replacement then. But when people start taking above and beyond normal levels for weight loss, um, that's a real problem potentially because of uh, potential side, serious side effects. And there are some doctors, if people shop around, at least, you know, some places they can find doctors who will tell you have a thyroid problem when you don't, so they can justify giving you thyroid hormone um, to help you lose weight. And, and again, it's something that people often just assume or, or want to assume they have a thyroid problem and they're told your thyroid's fine and they keep looking till they find a doctor that says they do, but they should know that um, there are serious risks of taking too much thyroid hormone. And that, and we know that for other hormones too. I talk about other hormones where we know, for example, as women get older, they have produced less estrogen. And as a result, there can be greater fat accumulation that women may experience as they go through menopause and beyond because of changes in in estrogen levels. And so estrogen, estrogen replacement can have some benefits, but it also, we know from research can have some serious potential drawbacks. So to take estrogens just for that reason, because the weight is not a great idea. Mm-hmm. Likewise, in testosterone in men, it has the same effect as men have uh, the testosterone levels decrease mm-hmm. as they get older. Uh, it also can affect uh, fat distribution and the amount of body fat. But again, I think to take testosterone or have a clinic to find a clinic that will uh, prescribe testosterone for that reason, primarily, um, it, people are playing with fire if they do that, because th- the studies do link testosterone um, supplementation with some negative health effects. And so people need to be very careful about that and be careful when they encounter healthcare practitioners who will tell them this is the answer to mm. your concerns about your weight. Yeah. Especially when they say that prior to like living a healthy lifestyle and encouraging the client to take care of the baseline important factors, right? Yes. Then something straight to hormones or straight to medication when the person is overweight, not exercising, not nourishing their body, all those basic things. Right. And I think that's a fundamental theme of my book and just overall here, which is that 
understandably, we all want quick fixes. We all want to be able to take a pill to do something, to go on an easy diet, to do you know some kind of magic bullet that's going to solve this problem. And unfortunately, there's just no such thing. And it involves things, sort of the old advice we've heard over and over, and things that often people may not want to hear or they may not want to do. But there are ways of doing them that are going to be more effective than others. And I think that's the point here is there are things that can help uh, and there are things that can make a difference. But when you hear there's a secret or a shortcut or a magic bullet or a pill that's going to make a big difference, I think people should be uh, cautious. Yeah. Well, that'll lead us, I think, into our last or final point that we wanted to touch on, um, and that was body positivity and mm -hmm. echo chambers within body positivity, which is such a big topic right now, I feel. And, right. um, yeah, we would love to get into this. So what are your thoughts on uh, this topic itself? Well, I think the body, positive, body positivity movement is a good thing, obviously. I mean, we, we all know that... Um, you know, it, 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 people have been told for this thin ideal that I talk about in the book that everybody, everybody can be and should be thin um, has done so much damage in so many ways, not only physically, but also emotionally, particularly for women's health, self-esteem and all the rest. It, it leads to, um, you know, unhealthy behaviors and into stigmatizing people who are overweight and blaming them and people blaming themselves, this sort of internalized stigma. And, and so this idea, which counters that, it's part of the body positivity movement's grown out of the idea of trying to counter this, which is to say that people come in all shapes and sizes and that people don't have to be thin and they, they can't be thin in all cases, nor should they think they should be, and that people can be healthy at different weights and that other factors matter. And that certainly you shouldn't, people's self-worth and the way they're judged by society shouldn't be based on their weight. And so that's all very, those are very important messages. Um, and I think that they should be encouraged. That said, uh, when some in the body positivity movement go a step further and say, well, in fact, all this talk about obesity uh, posing health risk, that's all false. Oh, there's no proven health risk from obesity. And it's okay if you're obese with regard to your health. That's false. That's false. And I think that's where body, I say body positivity turns negative when that becomes part of the message, uh, at least in my view. Because I think that um, uh just as people have, we've heard lies for years about everybody can be thin, you can be thin, you can look like the models and the ads, if only you'll eat less and exercise more, that's a lie. It's, I think, equally a lie when people are told, well, your weight doesn't matter. If you're obese, if, if people have obesity, it's not true that it really leads to increased health risk. That's equally, that's, that's a lie on the other side. Mm -hmm. And so what I, what I say is we have to have a sensible middle ground here where people don't judge themselves and they don't judge others based on their weight, where there's not um, a, a sense that everybody needs to be thin and everybody doesn't have unrealistic expectations for themselves and others. But at the same time, people recognize that um, small changes in your weight and in your lifestyle can make a big difference with regard to your health. It can reduce your risk of diabetes, of heart disease, um, of arthritis, improve your quality of life, even small changes. And so I like to say that weight is something that it's one factor of many to consider when it comes to your overall health and well-being. So it's certainly important. It's one factor that should be considered and it is a contributor. And I think we can't deny that to your, what you weigh does contribute to your overall health. But so do things like the quality of your diet. We talked earlier about your physical activity, um, your metabolic markers, things like your blood pressure, um, your blood sugar, uh, your cholesterol level, those things matter. Um, your emotional health, um, your functional ability, whether you can live your life the way you want, whether you can go enjoy your life and 
and, and, and be able to play with your children, your grandchildren, and to get up from a chair and to walk upstairs and to, to live your life. All those things matter. So my point is that, yes, weight matters, but you can, should consider it in the context of all these other factors as you consider um, your overall quality of life. And that's the way that I like to think about weight is one factor among these others that's relevant, not necessarily the end-all be-all, but um, one of several factors that you should consider when, when uh, looking at your overall lifestyle and your overall wellness. And so I think if people can look at weight that way, rather than as something that determines their self-worth or something that doesn't matter at all, because that's not true either, then I think people can end up in the end with a more balanced and, and, and I think helpful uh, and useful perspective on weight. Mm, well said. There was a really good quote from a couple of the doctors in your book as well um, that said your best weight, which they define as the weight people are able to achieve while living the healthiest lifestyle they can truly enjoy. Uh, This may not be your lowest weight ever or even one you would get from a BMI calculator. Instead, it's a weight that for you is attainable and sustainable while enhancing your your health and well-being. I thought that was well said. Yeah. And it's, it's, and that the sustainable part's really important, right? Because it's, you know, so many of us have struggled with yo-yoing going up and down throughout our lives. And I think to find a weight that's right for you, as I said, there, as I wrote, it's not, may not be your lowest weight ever. It may not be what you weighed in college. It may not be what your friends weigh, but a weight that's right for you where you can feel healthy. And, and again, all those other things I talked about, you feel good. Your metabolic markers are good. You have good functional ability, a weight that works for you that you can sustain over the long term, I think that's what's crucial. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks so much. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been really great. Al, did you have any other questions before we wrap up for the day? Oh, I just wanted to to ask uh, Dr. Robert what where our audience could find you basically or anything that you you do basically if they wanted to find out more about you where would they look (laughs) they can go to healthyskeptic.com that's my website Uh, my brand is healthy skeptic healthyskeptic.com and there they can find information about this book and other books i've written as well as short videos i've produced i have a number on there of short videos that debunk various health claims around nutrition and fitness and wellness Um, so invite people if they're interested to go look at those videos yeah, awesome. Great. And if listeners are interested in the book, uh, where can they find the book? We've got the ebook version, but is it in bookstores it, as it's well? It's in books and, and on uh, Amazon is probably the Amazon. best place. There's paperback yeah. audio version just came out, mm-hmm. audio version. Uh, and then also the ebook you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and then they can also find me on social media, uh, Facebook, Robert Davis, Healthy Skeptic, and on Instagram at Healthy Skept, S-K-E-P-T. And there's information about the book there as well. Great. Thank you so much once again. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. We really enjoyed today's episode. Thanks so much. That's awesome. All right. If anyone has any questions for us about today's podcast, please jump into our Facebook group and let us know. Otherwise, if you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure you take a screenshot, share it with your friends and help us grow our body and beyond community. See you later, everyone. Bye guys. Body and Beyond podcast is for information purposes only. This podcast does not constitute advice or services and the statements and views of the hosts and guests are not medical advice. The information provided should not be used for treatment or diagnosis purposes.
Please discuss any information from this podcast with your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle.